We are in 1 Corinthians, and today we're going to be in chapter 13. Uh, this is known as the love chapter. And I got to tell you, I, I, I had some profound discoveries in preparing this message, and I really hope that uh, as the word is presented today that it will uh, be something that encourages you and hopefully kind of gives you a perspective that maybe you haven't had before. So we'll begin here in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing." If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been known fully. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and I am thankful for the opportunity to present the word today. I am thankful for the opportunity to be here with brothers and sisters in Christ as we magnify your name, as we dive into your word, as we uh, pray and believe for transformation in our lives and in the lives of those that uh, are around us. We ask that you be with us here today in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So, uh, we have been, over the course of the last two weeks, talking about spiritual gifts. This is the portion of the letter. Paul has been addressing some of the questions that they have. Uh, remember, we're in 1 Corinthians. This is not Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. He says, in my previous letters, I said this. So we know that he had written before to them, but this is the first letter that was you know, canonized, if you will, for us. This was, this, was, this was preserved for the church globally, right? So God can have an independent word for a church building, for a group of people, for an individual, but God also has truths that are eternal and transcend the building. And this is one of those. And so Paul has been talking about spiritual gifts and I want to back up. Last week, one of our elders, Jim McLean, brought the word and did a great job. Thank you, Jim, for filling in. Yes, it's, it's awesome to have such qualified, good teachers in this church. I'm thankful for that as a pastor. And he was talking through chapter 12 and spiritual gifts. And I just want to back up to the last verse there because that sets the stage for chapter 13. Please remember this when you're reading Scripture. We put the chapters and verses in place so that it would make it easier for us to 
find the text when we are discussing it, okay? These, these chapters and verses were not in the original letter, so Paul wasn't like, hey, this is going to be chapter 13, verse 1. So these are fluid thoughts moving from chapter to chapter and verse to verse. And in chapter 12, verse 31, look at what he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This, for me, right, summarizes the difficulty around the topic of love. And so I titled today's message, Stop Using Love as a Virtue Signal, right? Stop using love to say, I, I know what love is, so look at me, and I'm all, you know, love is so great, and Jesus is love, right? It's just like this catchphrase, but we're not really grabbing a hold of what love is, and Paul just kind of like anchors down into this thing, and if we cherry-pick what we like out of these thoughts, then we come up with an idea for love that really is not what's being communicated. So, listen, struggling to show meaningful love is difficult because it's not a natural action. Loving is not something that's just like, oh yeah, I was born with love. Man, I love everybody. Like I just, I'm the, I'm the love master. Like, like that's just not a real thing, right? Learning how to, to show the type of love that he's talking about here is not just something that's just like innate built inside of you. In fact, he says it has to be desired and pursued because it is one of the gifts from God. Love, the expression of love is a spiritual gift, and so doing it right means that you are walking in harmony with God. And he, and he unpacks that here in chapter 13. So the important thing for us when we talk about things from Scripture, and I, I bring this up all the time, and I have since we started the church, okay? It's pretty trendy right now to, to talk about define the terms, but... I was talking about defining the terms before people were talking about defining the terms because if we just change the definition of a word, right, we can make things that, you know, historical statements mean what we want them to mean, right? Simply by changing the definition of a word. It's like a, a complicated math equation, right? Anybody in here love math? I don't know if Jedediah is here. Some people love math, right? Anybody in here hate math? right? Look at all those hands. Come on. Hallelujah. We're going to get a wave going in just a moment, right? Okay. So listen, listen, math is a puzzle. I enjoy math because I enjoy puzzles, right? I enjoy kind of unlocking the thing, but, but complicated equations, right? They can become very frustrating and, and defining terms. We have to think, we have to think in this realm of a mathematical equation because every word that is used to define the term you're looking at has to have a proper definition itself. It's a cascading endless effect that as we are using words to define words, we have to make sure that the words that we're using are defined properly. And love is one of these words that has this like massive divide when it comes to how we define it. So Paul's usage of the word love is not the affection which springs up between persons of different sexes or in this year, same sexes, okay, right? That type of love is not what he's talking about, okay? In fact, that is the lowest form of love like lust or passion used among the Greeks, so when he's writing this in the Greek language and he's talking about love, there is specifically, there is a different idea around sexual attraction. 
It's not even the same thing. In fact, that would be the lowest form of love among Greek culture. So when he's talking about love, he is not talking about this type of attraction that would be physical among people. And so when we see language, and I know this upsets people when I talk about this, but I I, I feel like I have to. When we see language like love is love, right? That, that, to a young culture, they see this, right? Driving down the road, we see the signs, love is love. We see the bumper stickers. And then that young generation shows up with mom and dad to church and love is love. And then we go into 1 Corinthians 13 and how have they defined love? There is a, a, a portion of the culture that defines love as being like, whatever I'm feeling, it's all good. And, and Paul is very clearly not saying that. And so, so really what would be a better yard sign or bumper sticker is lust is lust, right? Or passion is passion, right? And I could get behind that. I could get behind that and go, yeah, whatever you're feeling is whatever you're feeling, right? I'm not going to be able to say what you're feeling is not what you're feeling. But what I do want to be able to say is that you can't take what's inside of you and inject it into the the definition of a term, right? That's where we begin to have this this dangerous place that ultimately divides. and, And here's my concern, it divides the church, right? Paul's already been talking about the division between the church and, and culture. That's, that's there, right? We're going to, we're not to look like the culture, okay? But what we have to be careful of, and this was the beginning of this letter, is, hey, don't try to be like the culture. Don't divide yourself and just go, well, we'll acquiesce to what they're asking. No, we have the Word of God. We have instruction from the Holy Spirit. Let's stay the course. Why? Because it is a better way. And so sometimes, sometimes there is a clear difference between the terms culture uses and what Scripture uses. And we have to be able to say, look, I know that this can offend. I know that people might not like it, but it's reality. And I don't know why we live in a culture where we can't have rational conversations where truth is something that is subjective, right? Reality is subjective, right? I I don't know what got us there. I'm not that deep of a philosopher. I remember being in Bible college 22 years ago and having a sermon series that that, uh, the professors put together in which they told us, I actually found, I bought this, it blew my mind, I bought the sermon series on cassette tape, and I recently bought a cassette tape to digital converter so that I could re-listen to it because I didn't have a cassette player, but I found these, and in this sermon series that we did in our chapels, they were talking about how in the next 20 years, you will have a culture where truth is exclusively decided by the individual, and there will not be a mindset where all truth is accepted. Everyone will go, well, that's your truth. And I thought to myself, man, they were prophesying right there on the on this platform because I hear that all the time. Well, that's your truth, right? Man, what, well, why can't truth be truth? So here's the thing. It's not that confrontational or divisive to be able to say that lust is not what Paul's talking about. He is not talking about physical attraction. He is not talking about intimacy. He is talking about something else. That's the importance of what needs to be stated here. So what does he say? 13 verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men. So what are the tongues of men? This type of language, right, this phrase meant the, the language of the elite 
or sophisticated. The tongues of men, this is where the guys get together and they talk philosophy and they try to impress one another and look at how smart I am. I read this book from a hundred years ago and I know this thing and it's like, oh man, I'd never heard that before. So, so, so we can, humanity can get together and we can talk some big talk, right? And we can quote studies and manipulate statistics and, and bring out philosophers and uh, psychologists and we can do all those things and we can talk a big game, right? He says, so even if you talk in, in that language, right, or in the tongues of angels, okay, so what are angels? They're the messengers of God. So he says, even if I speak in the language of the messengers of God, the messengers are the ones that show up on God's behalf and present information, right? So we see this at various times throughout biblical history. God will send an angel. The angel will come and say, I come on behalf of the Lord. Thus saith God, right? Because he always speaks in King James when he speaks, right? (laughs) Thus saith the Lord, right? So even if I speak that language, right? Even if I speak that language, he says, but have not love, right? There's a problem. Now, what, what, what do we know about this? Well, if we look over here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, Paul makes reference to this angel, angelic language, and he says, and I heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. He's talking about being in the second heaven. We'll get to it in 2 Corinthians, right? So he's talking about being in the place of God and a language that was being spoken and things that were being said that he cannot himself repeat. So what is this heavenly angel, uh, angelic language? I don't know what it is, right? I don't speak it. But he says, even if you did speak it and you didn't have love, you'd have a problem, right? Because we have to have love, all right? And if I don't, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, right? Think about a clanging cymbal for just a moment. I don't know how many of you have had kids or a kid who liked the drums, right? I, my, my, my son Zoe growing up, I mean, he's still growing up, but when he was little, man, there was nothing he loved more than the drums. And we begged my mom and dad to invest in a set of electric drums because somebody in the church gave him a real drum set one Christmas. And man, I'm going to tell you what, there isn't much like waking up at five o'clock in the morning to a clinging cymbal because he thought he was in a rock band crushing it, right? I mean, like, ah, screaming. It's always some type of praise and worship. So, I mean, at least there's that, right? But just going to town. So one Christmas, we begged, and, and my, my parents did acquiesce. They got him a set of electric drums, and th- then he had headphones, and we could not hear the clinging cymbal. A, a clinging cymbal is just not something that you want to hear, right? It's like nails on a chalkboard. There are just a list of sounds. None of us want to have around us, right? Like, right? like when we get packages at the house and there's styrofoam squeaking against styrofoam, my, my daughter goes crazy. Like she leaves the room. She can't handle that sound, right? So, so there's this analogy here, right? And then he goes on and he says, and if I have prophetic powers, right? Right? If I have prophetic powers, what, what, are, what is this idea around prophecy, right? The gift of communicating and enforcing revealed truth. That's a pretty, that's a, 
a pretty powerful thing, right? A prophetic power is like a superpower, right? Like I can predict the truth and make it, or the future and make it happen the way that I've predicted it. He says, even if I have that, right? And 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 understand all mysteries and knowledge. What does understand mean? It means to know, to remember, to appreciate. So like I have this deep knowledge of all mysteries. He says, and if I have all faith. What is that? Belief, trust, confidence, fidelity. That's faithfulness, right? He says that if I have all faith, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm soaring high. I know what I know. I have a faithful relationship with God. He says, but I have not love. I am, I am nothing. Not to be confused with I have nothing, but I am nothing. It's talking about the the value of who we are. What is nothing? It's no one, none, nothing, zilch. This is one of those words that's really hard to redefine, right? You're not going to see this one being manipulated very much because nothing is, there's just not a lot to put into it. And he says that if if I I can be riding high in what? All these spiritual gifts, He's naming these spiritual gifts. He goes, man, man, I could be prophesying. I could have a deep understanding of the things of God. Like I can be flowing in some of these spiritual gifts. But if I don't have love, then I'm really not of any great value. He says, I am nothing. Verse 3, look at this. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So what does he say? He says that if I sacrifice everything that I possess, even to the point of death, but have not love, I gain nothing. Do you understand what Paul's insinuating right here for all of us is that you can be somebody that gives of your resources with ease, you can even be willing to die in the place of somebody else and not have love. This is why I'm saying like, like really operating in love and showing love and walking out love. This is, a, this is a much more difficult thing, right, than just a bumper sticker that we throw on the back of the car, right? We can take some of these actions, but man, to really walk this out, it's a pretty difficult thing, right? Uh, so love is not an outward expression, but an inward position, the, the, the expression, right, that's a fruit. There's an overflow, you, you know, to, to genuinely do that. But there's something inward that has, to be, that has to have happened in order for me to really show love and to show it consistently. So defining love, how do we define this? Well, he begins the definition for us here in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. So what does it mean to be patient? It means I can wait, right? When you, love, when, you, when you have an expression of love and there is a responsibility that creates a waiting period, love will give you the ability to wait. When Carmen and I were dating, we used to say to, to each other all the time, like, we can't wait to be married because we were tired of goodbyes, right? Every day we would go and hang out, and every night we had to say goodbye, right? Because we still were under the authority of our parents. We had curfews. Like, our lives looked that way. And so we would say goodbye every night, and we thought, man, I can't wait to get married. And so I, being the 
seriously less mature one was constantly like, let's just elope, right? Let's just, if that's what it's going to take, let's elope. And she would always say, absolutely not. It won't honor my mom and dad. We're not doing that, right? She pushed me to be in a place where I had to be patient. And let me tell you how thankful I am for that. I'm so thankful for that today. I'm so thankful that like the, 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 the reward for that patience and that waiting has paid off. But when you really love something, right, you're willing to wait if that's what it takes to be able to receive it or see it come to fruition. It says that you do not envy. What is envy? It means I want my life to look like theirs. So when you are operating with love and you have this position of love inside of you, you aren't looking at what everyone else is doing going, man, I wish my life was like theirs. Right? And how amplified is envy in our society today? Like, I, I personally, you know, we talk about the seven deadly sins. Like, I think I want to do a, 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 some type of sermon around the seven different social media platforms and how each one helps to fuel a different type of sin, right? Like, Instagram is like the, the, the social media of envy. Like, people posting all the time. Like, I, like I, I haven't been on Instagram in a while, and I'm not against it. Like, if you like Instagram, I'm not saying you're going to hell or anything like that. Please don't walk out of here going like, oh my gosh, I've been sitting there. I'm not saying that. But just think about it for a moment, right? Like when you flip through Instagram, like half of the pictures are of people taking pictures of themselves in vacation spots and their fancy stuff. And, and, and you, got, you think to yourself, like, how in the world do they afford that? Like I know them and I know what they do and they're doing what? You know, and, and it, it creates this thing inside of you that's like, well, I wish I was doing that or I was driving that or I lived there or my life looked like this, right? So, so love, love doesn't have room for envy, right? He, he says that it doesn't boast, right? So envy is the person who's looking at it going, man, I wish that I could experience that. And then the boasting, right, is the person who's posting the picture going, you really need to look like me. <laughs> look at what I got today. Look at where I'm at today, right? And so boasting and envy go hand in hand, right? Somebody's boasting and somebody's envying. Somebody's envying because somebody's boasting, right? And he, he says that love, they, 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 love doesn't do those things, right? Okay? They're not arrogant. What's arrogance? It's I've got it together and they don't. Arrogance is not only is it a boast, but it's also like this little added pressure of like, and you'll never get it. I'm wealthy in a way you'll, you're a peasant, you're not capable of coming to. I've got what you'll never have, right? So it moves from boasting to this arrogance, right? This pride. Verse four, right? So he says, it's not it, you do not envy your boast. It is not arrogant or rude, right? It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Rude. This one was really interesting to me. Acts unbecomingly. Okay, right? Right? But when I looked into some of the commentaries, that some of the commentators wrote it like this, that to be rude is forgetting what is due others. When I'm rude and I take what I want, I do what I want, like I am actively taking a position where I ignore what might actually be due somebody else, right? This is something that we have to outgrow, right? We can't be rude individuals. What does it mean to insist in your own way? That is to be concerned with your own advancement 
at the expense of others rather than trying to advance with others, right? So in your, in your pursuit, right, to have a better life, and, and there are definitely scriptures that we can pull together and we can, we can get a really solid picture that God is perfectly fine with us having good lives. He wants good for us, right? When we want bread to eat, he doesn't throw stones our way, okay? So we can have good things, we can live good lives, but we should want to experience that alongside of other people experiencing it, not at the expense of others, right? So if, I'm, if I have a desire in my heart to have a nice house or a nice car or whatever this thing is, it should never be at the expense of somebody else, but it should always be that I, in the community that I'm a part of, that we are rising there together, right? And what is irritable is easily provoked, quick to anger, right? And to be resentful is to keep records of wrongs. This one right here, this one right here, resentful, right? So irritable we get, right? I mean, uh, I get irritable, right? Like the, the, the secret sauce to not being irritable in my home for my entire family is sleep, right? Somebody's irritable, go to bed, right? That can make you even more irritable when you're told that, right? It's like, don't you dare. But right after you've slept, you're not irritable. Maybe that's not how it works for you. That's how it works for everybody in my household. We go on a lack of sleep, we become irritable. But this right here, this idea of being resentful, right? Right, that is to keep records of wrongs. And this one right here was something that really, for me, meditating this week, I, I came to this conclusion, this conclusion, that learning not to be resentful requires learning how to grieve. When we don't know how to grieve, we don't know how to let go. When my, when my grandmother passed away uh, five years ago now, like it, was, it hit me really hard, right? And I had to walk through a grieving process, which was me letting go. And, and over the course of the last two years, I have been under so many verbal assaults from individuals who have said things that just aren't even true. Like just lies, just making stuff up to attack me. And these were people who ate at my, my family's table that we did life with, some that we vacationed with, right? And we just walked through this. And I realized in studying this that in order to let go of that and not maintain this resentfulness, I, I really had to take the tools of grieving and position that into place so that I didn't maintain resent, right? So I didn't stay resentful to those people who did something to hurt me. I had to grieve, I had to let go, right? And so the way that we take the position of love is not to hold on to something because we have a stake in the ground that we're right, but it's about grieving the loss of that thing, letting it go. It needs to be let go, it needs to die. And the truth is, is that when you walk to the other side of that, you're in a much better place, right? There's so much more fulfillment and happiness in there. So you're not rude. You don't insist on your own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So this word wrongdoing translates in the Greek to be unrighteousness, injustice, and hurt, which is a pretty wide spectrum, right? Uh, when you think about it. So, so what, are, what are they saying? I think there, there's two aspects to not, you know, to, 
to not rejoicing at wrongdoing, right? And that is that you will not find a loving person celebrating someone's pain, right? You may not like somebody, you may not respect them, you may see them as an enemy, but a person that has a position of love is not going to take on the, 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 the mantra of, well, I hope they die, right? That, that is something culturally that we will hear, right? We'll, we'll see that in media posts and stuff, but if love is our position, regardless of friend or foe, we are not hoping for we are not hoping for their pain to be incredible, right? Nor are we celebrating someone's hate. When somebody commits an act of hate, a com- uh, commits an act of violence, we don't rejoice in that, right? The position of love in our heart looks at it and says, hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting behind this. Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So he's given us a list here of things of, uh, that, that show us what love is not, okay? Okay, so if you're operating in those areas, and I just want to tell you right now, I hope that you can be honest. I'll be honest, like some of those things are things I have to, I have to, like, I have to be committed to shutting down, right? Being irritable, right? Being resentful. Those are things that can rear their head in my life, and I have to go, right now, this doesn't work. This is not honoring God. This is not the position I want to be in. I have to shut those things down because that is not love. What is love, right? It bears all things, right? It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. So how do these break down? Well, it bears all things means that it, it covers, it conceals, it waits patiently, right? So love can look at somebody, an individual or a situation and go, man, this is not healthy, but I am capable of bearing this situation for the benefit of the individual, right? So John Calvin said it like this, and I don't agree with everything Calvin says, but he does have a lot of good thoughts in different places. He says, not that a Christian should knowingly and willingly suffer himself to be imposed upon, not that he should deprive himself of prudence and judgment so that he may be the more easily deceived, but that he should esteem it better to be deceived by his kindness and gentleness of heart than to injure his brother by needless suspicion. So when it says believes all things, like bears all things, he, he breaks this down in a way I think makes sense. It's that, it's that it would be better to have been deceived than to constantly live in a position of suspicion. So when I believe all this, it's not that I'm going like I'm championing evil. You know what I'm saying? This is not an illustration of somebody coming in and going like, hey, listen, I'm a really powerful witch. And if you'll show up to my seance tonight, uh, I will do some pretty awesome things for you. And you're like, man, he said, believe all things. What time? Where do I come? Like, that's not what's happening. What it's saying is, is that if somebody comes in and they are saying something, right? And it's not evil, it's not wicked, right? Then even if, you might go, I don't know, like stepping into a place of, of belief and trust, right, is better than being in a position of suspicion, right? Hopes all things, believes that God will bring good out of evil and that the most evil of men can be reformed, right? 
Hope, when we talk about hoping and having hope and hoping that, that God's going to do what God does, part of that hope is believing that even the most wicked and vile individual can come to the saving knowledge of Christ and be completely transformed by his love. And this is, this is really where a, a love position comes into play is that instead of hoping that somebody who has gotten COVID dies that you don't like, right? I mean, those are the types of crazy things that we'll see, right? The position of the believer who expresses love is that, man, you know what? I really hope that that person comes to know Jesus. So my prayers are not take them out, but rescue them. And this is, we work with Life for the Innocent, and they rescue children out of, out of uh, uh, sex trade, organ harvesting. And, and one of the things that the, the guy that founded the organization, he says is that, man, he says, if, if we can get the pimps saved, right? Taking a pimp out, there's another pimp there ready to go. But if we can get a pimp saved, then that pimp that's now a Christian can defend his ground and shut it down, right? So, so you, you gain a warrior when somebody comes to know Jesus right? But you just, all you do is open the door for more evil when somebody is taken out. And that's God's judgment. God moves that way. God does work to take out the wicked, right? He puts the righteous into positions of authority. But our position is to hope that they would be our brother and sister for eternity, right? And this, this in the Greek, it's to expect, it is to trust, right? So there's, a, there's an expectation. God can move in this still, right? It might feel hopeless. It might seem really dark and dire, but let me tell you what, I serve a God that can show up and do something. He can move. It's not over. Endures all things, sustains to the end with unshaken confidence in the goodness of God, all the persecutions and afflictions of this life. What does that mean? Love does not walk away. Love does not go, you know what, I'm done with you. Like that is not love, right? Now, am I saying you don't have boundaries and you don't create a, 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 a place where you have a, the ability to be safe? I'm not saying any of those things, right? Okay, right? What we are talking about is when we are engaging in life and believing for God to move, right? We don't go, well, I disagree with the way that you vote or the way that the things that you support. So I'm done. Get out of here. I don't want to see you anymore, right? That's not an act of love right? Somebody's being violent towards you, right? Abusing you. And you start creating boundaries going, hey, you're not a safe individual, like, right? You can't come around. Those are two different things. In the context here of what we're talking about, where we're engaging with humanity, love is just not something that's quick to be like, I'm out of here, right? Love is faithful. Love is consistent. Like we just keep doing the hard work, right? If somebody is willing to listen, then we keep talking, right? We keep coming to the table and having the conversations, right? Love never, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So the expression of love is a fruit that has no end, unlike other gifts that we may operate in. So prophecy, these, the, and prophecy is just the one that really Paul keeps coming back to because because uh, it's one that so many people pursue. And, and he says that that has an end, right? It has a fulfillment. Like I prophesy this, and then if I'm being honest and it's really from God, then it comes to fruition and it moves on and it becomes a part of history. But the fruit of love 
is something that continues on and on and on and on. It has no end in itself. And this is why, this is the thing that should be so profound for us today. This is why love is a far higher gift, right? Speaking in tongues, having prophetic utterances, walking in a healing ministry, the things that a lot of people within the church will pursue, right? Right? They are the lesser gifts. So what Paul says, he says that you should desire higher gifts. I'm going to show you a better way. And he begins to pump out all this information on love and what love looks like. Why? Because love is a far higher gift. Remember, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Verse 9, back in chapter 13, for we know in part and we prophesy in part right? So prophecy, there's no doubt, it creates wonder among those listening, but it is a lower gift. I'm not saying it doesn't have a place. I'm not saying that it, it doesn't, it can't work within our lives, but it is a lesser gift than walking out what real love looks like. And I'm going to tell you, when it comes to some of these others, prophecy, gift of tongues, those things can be faked pretty hardcore. There are a lot of false prophets, a lot of false, you know, healers out there, right? Love, you can't carry that on fake. Love has got to be something. Like I said, it's an internal position, not an external expression. And so if you don't have it, people will see through that, right? It'll be real quick too. Verse 10, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, We're going to kind of shift gears for a quick second because I want to address something. This is a great example of how a verse can be contextualized away from its physical context. The church, people have been guilty of this, taking this verse, removing it from the context of spiritual gifts in chapter 12 and 13, specifically here around love and how love works, to make the argument, right, that the gifts are not for today and that they have ceased. Okay, so maybe you've heard this before, right? So uh, these spiritual gifts, they're no longer for today. The kind of the movement, the idea around this is, is to be a cessationist, right? I don't believe in the spiritual gifts for today. I have a problem with that, and I'll explain why. But their, their argument, number one, is that we have the Bible, right? So that which is perfect has come. So some will say, well, the Bible is here and the Bible is perfect, right? Uh, and, and I would argue that the, the Bible is the Word of God, right? But we know that among all translations, there's less than one. There's no, there's no book in the history of the world that has been more preserved, right? But humanity has had its hands on it, right? And so there is a less than 1% discrepancy among all of the manuscripts, transcripts that we have found, okay? So, so it is not perfect. That's why it needs to be studied. That's why it has to be put into our heart. Like we don't just put it up like rules at the pool, right? Rules at the pool, they are, that's it. That's what the rules are. You do what it is, right? But when it comes to the word of God, we have to study it. We have to understand it. The second thing that they argue is that we have church leadership, right? They'll argue that Ephesians chapter four, that we have this fivefold ministry. And so that which is perfect has come and it's no longer needed. Can I just tell you, I, I, I believe I'm a part of that and I am not perfect right? And if you thought that as a pastor I was perfect, I hate to break your heart today, it ain't the case, right? It's just not how it is. And so this argument falls flat for me just on the merit that the
you that that would mean not only have tongues ceased, but so has love. Because in order for the gifts to have ceased and be done, why is it then that I get to pick which gifts I want to I say are no longer for today, right? And love here is one of the gifts that Paul is talking about, right? So thankfully for me, Paul clarifies. So we're going to look at this clarification, right? Verse 11, he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways, okay? So in all things we grow, right? Whether it's physically, mentally, emotionally, like we, we grow. We, we, we hopefully see change in our lives from when we were children to when we are adults. This is also true, Paul is saying, spiritually. That just like when we were children in the way that we thought and the way that we, that we carried ourselves, the way we acted, like we begin to transform. The same happens spiritually. So some gifts are for those who are mature in the faith, right? Some gifts do not require immediate spiritual maturity. Paul is making this inference that as you are maturing, right, then you also will begin to operate in higher giftings. When will these gifts end? Well, verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, okay? So, you know, it's this idea about what eternity looks like, right? Not the half has been told. We, don't, we, don't, we only know a really small portion, right, that Jesus is coming back. There's all these prophecies. We do our best to interpret and understand and look for the, se- the, the seasons, the signs. You know, we, you know, people are constantly saying, do you think Jesus is coming back in our lifetime, right? I don't even know if Jesus coming back is exactly like Tim LaHaye said it was going to be, right? You know what I'm saying? And his left behind books. Like, it just, we just don't know right? And, and, and the reason that I can say that with such confidence is that we had a promised Messiah coming, and everybody was looking for the Messiah, and he was standing in their midst in the Gospels, okay? So I just, I just want to say that, that we can, right, look at prophecy and maybe not get it quite right. So he says that, he says, but for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So when do these gifts cease, right? When do they come to an end? Well, it is when I know fully and I am known fully. Do I know all things? I do not know all things, right? Am I known fully among all of my brothers and sisters? No. When will that happen? That will happen in the eternal kingdom, right? So during that transition for Jesus to come and rule and reign physically where we come into the throne room of God and we're able to worship. Like at that point, these gifts will not be needed. And love will no longer be needed when perfection comes. But as long as humanity is at work and as long as people are willing to do what benefits them and to buy into their own ideas, their own agendas and do their own thing, love will always be needed. As long as there's a human factor at work, right? As long as we are torn between the flesh and the Spirit of God, love will be needed. Again, this is not about lust or passion. 
When we are talking about love, we are not talking about physical attraction here. And this is how he ends this. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Go back to chapter 12. What does he say? He says, I will show you a greater way. And he lays out and he unpacks this whole thing on love. And he says what? Faith, hope, and love, right? These three are the higher gifts that we should desire, but love is the highest, so love is something that if, if we are to understand this, right, what Paul is saying, it would make total and complete sense that the world, the enemy, the flesh would want to abuse the idea of love because if we really walk in love, we are walking in the highest level of giftedness we can where we are doing everything the way that God has called and created us to. So if we can abuse that and change what that looks like, then we can prevent the saints of God from rising to their potential. And I'm reminded of this, that I can't expect immature believers to operate in the higher gifts. Why? Because Paul says you should desire those gifts. You become a believer and you receive a gifting. So you have a gifting that you operate in. And he lays all those out in chapter 12, right? Or, or, or a good portion of them, right? He talks about like being able to have discernment among that which is evil and that which is good, being able to prophesy, speaking in other tongues, healing. Like he lays all these things out. The ability for administration, like Jim talked about last week, right? To be an administrative person who is organized. Those are all giftings from God that he gives. But then there is higher gifts that you are to desire. So you should long to be able to have the gift of faith, hope, and love, and ultimately be in a place where you are figuring out how to be love embodied, right? And that is not going to look like something that from the outside makes the world happy, but it will from the, from the outside. The world will look at it and say, there's something about you. There's something about the way that you are. Let's stand to our feet as we close. I've got to tell you, my whole life listening to 1 Corinthians 13 be taught, reading it in Scripture, it's always good. It's always good to get this grasp on what love is, right? But when we're teaching verse by verse, there are a lot of dots that are being connected that I have not seen in the past. And bringing and bridging chapter 12 from his statement, now I will show you a a better way and then coming into faith hope and love like I'm telling you like it it blows my mind to think that love is actually a higher gift from God that I should desire and it makes total sense why it's such a struggle on my own because my love that I build and compound looks like a like like having a pile of Legos, right? And trying to, you know, the kids are like, I want a, you know, an X-wing, you know? And I just try to hobble one together, right? But it's very different than if I go buy all the pieces that were designed for it and I build that Lego set together. It's not gonna look the same, right? And that's what a lot of times I think we do is we don't, we don't go to God and say, God, listen, I need you to help me love better. I need you to help make the changes inside of me so that I can embody love in the world around me, right? And I don't want it to be the way that it's defined by everybody else. I want to be in the position internally that you would have me to be, right? Then I'm gonna look radically different than when I try to hobble love together by finding all of the opinions of my closest friends and doing the things that make them happy, right? That's not gonna look the same as God doing a work. 
And, and, and I hope that, that, or my challenge for you is that you would leave today and that you would really meditate on that faith, hope, and love. God, how can I how can I increase in these areas? Because I really understand only you can bring the increase. And so I challenge you to make that your prayer throughout the, the, this next month, right? As we're moving into Christmas. Uh, we were on our way to church this morning and one of my kids asked, why do uh, some people, some Christians not celebrate Christmas? And, and that's, a, that's a complicated thing. And I'm not here to condemn anybody who doesn't celebrate Christmas. But as I was explaining some of the philosophy around uh, uh, understanding of Jewish calendars, even to understanding pagan philosophies, and the question was, well, why do we do it? And, and I said, well, I take the approach that I don't think that Christmas, December 25th, is some big thing to God, right? But it is an incredible opportunity for our family to talk about Jesus relentlessly, to be together for a month, to, to really bring this thing in and an opportunity to share the gospel in a season. So many times other people aren't willing to listen, right? Like more people attend church at Easter and Christmas than any other time of the year, right? So if I have an opportunity to share the gospel, just like what we do with Halloween, like I'm not out here trying to celebrate you know, the dead, you know, but we do our event here at the church on Halloween because we want to love our community. And, and let me tell you something, I want to embody that with my family this coming month, right? As we are preparing for Christmas, right? I want to, I want to embody what love, hope, faith, what they look like to my community around me, but I need God to help me be able to pull that off because I can't do it on my own, right? All I can do is just copy what other people are doing. I want it to be genuine and authentic, so that's my challenge for you over the course of the next few weeks, making that your prayer, right? Just saying, God, w will you show me better ways to express these gifts? All right. Now, if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to come to know him today. The scripture says that if, if by faith we are saved, right, that if I believe, right, that those that call on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's not some complicated ritual. There's no seance that you've got to be a part of. You don't have to be a part of the church for six months and then you get reviewed, right? Like, nothing like that. It literally comes down to, and this is the most basic fundamental gift. The very first one is salvation. All you have to do is believe. And then all these other gifts, getting to a place where you embody real love, like those are things that we pursue in our walk of faith, right? But the, the, the most simple and important gift is salvation. And it's coming to a place where you say, Jesus, I acknowledge that, that I am a sinner and I am in need of saving. And Jesus, the, the word says that he does all the rest of it for us. The sacrifice has been paid. And so I want to encourage you to, to make that decision today if you have not. In just a moment, our prayer ministry team will be available in the back as we leave. If you want prayer, please make your way to them. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your mercy and grace and faithfulness in our lives. Lord, I thank you for your word, for the way that it just resonates truth and life for us. I pray that we would be uh, followers, your followers, who would embody what it looks like to really represent love, help us to walk in a better way, to desire a better way. And Lord, let us not have compromise in our own lives. We love you and we praise you and we thank you. We ask these things in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Hey guys, uh, make it a great week. If you're traveling, uh, be safe. We'll see you next Sunday. As always, go change your